Hey guys, and welcome back to Are You Uncomfortable Yet? I'm your host, Kayla, and I know it's been a while since you've heard from me, but we're going to get back into it, posting every Wednesday, I hope. Every single week, I'm going to bring you a story and a case about information that I think is important for you to know. So in episode one, we talked about Miranda rights and the case with Eric Miranda and how that originated and why it's important for you to know your Miranda rights and utilize them, whether you're guilty or you're not guilty. But most importantly, if you're not guilty, (laughs) but that's going to lead us in today's episode, which I'm just going to get right into. And that is the re-technique. So, here we go. In Nebraska in 1955, a man named John E. Reed helped get a confession from a suspect. This suspect's name was Daryl Parker. And Daryl Parker was accused of murdering his wife. And while he was being interrogated, Reed implemented what is now known as the Reed Technique. To get Parker to make a quote-unquote false confession. But the following day, Daryl Parker had recanted his confession, but it was already um, admitted into evidence and it was used against him in his trial. And actually, he was then convicted by a jury and was sentenced to a life in prison on June 2nd, 1956. But immediately Parker put in a direct appeal. It was denied. So then he filed a federal petition of habeas corpus. If you're not familiar with what a habeas corpus is, it's basically a recourse in law through which a person can report an unlawful detention or imprisonment to a court and request that the court order the custodian of a person, so basically like a prison, bring the prisoner to court to determine whether the detention of them is lawful or unlawful, but that never worked. So then in February 1969, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit ruled that his original confession, I am doing air quotes, confession, had in fact been coerced and ordered that um, Daryl Parker have a new trial or be released. After this, the state appealed the ruling that the court had issued and the Supreme Court reversed it and the case was sent back to trial um, to rule whether or not the confession was voluntary or not. So at that time, um, Daryl Parker was actually released on his own recognizance um, and that was like December 1960. Four-ish? 69-ish? Yeah. No, yeah. December 1969. Um, He agreed to waive the hearing, which was a no-no. He should have just went to trial. 
because a few days later, his conviction was um, actually reinstated. And after it was reinstated, he went, it went back to trial. Um, the, the Nebraska Board of Pardons um, commuted his life sentence to actually 25 to 45 years in prison. And But he was actually paroled. Um, and that time he like had moved away because he was actually on out on parole. Um, so he moved away, kind of was just getting his life back in order and, you know, I mean, and to the best that he could. And then enters a man named Wesley Perry. And who is Mr. Wesley Perry, you might be asking? Well, he was convicted of murdering a woman in Nebraska and he also confessed to murdering a woman named Nancy Parker in 1988. He confessed that in 1988 to his uh, lawyers after he had been um, convicted of murdering this other woman. He confessed that he had, in fact, killed another woman and her name was... Um, Nancy Parker. This confession revealed that obviously Daryl Parker did not commit the murder of his wife and Daryl Parker sought out a pardon in 1991. He was granted a full pardon and I'm just going to insert here that when somebody gets pardoned in they're wronged by the justice system there is no reward right it took him years to get any kind of apology any kind of you know recourse for the the wrong that he had been given by the government the police the whatever you want to call it because it wasn't until August of 2012, and that's more than 50 years after his initial arrest, that the state of Nebraska had issued a declaration of innocence and an apology. So it wasn't until 50 years that he was actually apologized to, or given like, oh, hey, yeah, you are innocent. We're gonna put this down. So now it's finally happened. And that's a good thing, right? But bad for Daryl Parker. Like, he had to live his life in a shadow of he murdered his wife. No, he didn't. He was coerced into telling police that he did because of this quote-unquote re-technique. So, here I'm just going to say, we're going to get into the juicy details. The whole key player in this whole fiasco was a man named, you guessed it, John E. Reed. Reed was a psychologist, a polygraph expert, and he was also a former Chicago police officer. And so in the 1950s, he developed the infamous Reed technique. This technique is a method of interrogation and um, it's actually known for creating a high pressure environment for the interviewee followed by deep sympathy and an offering of understanding and help but only if they are willing to quote unquote confess um since the 1960s it has been part of some police procedures 
people who use this technique say it is useful and people who are critical of it say that it results in way too many false confessions, which I agree with, but I'm not going to put my opinion in here. So here's what the three technique is. It consists of a three-phase process that begins with a fact analysis, then followed by behavior analysis interview, and then followed by the read nine. Um, so the steps of interrogation and read technique is more of a monologue by the investigator, right? Because like, you know, I ask you a question, you answer. I ask you another question, you answer. When the read technique is kind of a one-man show. I'm going to tell you a story and fill your head with this information. So it's more of a monologue um, rather than a questioning. And demeanor is to be patient and understanding to make the suspect more comfortable. So guess what? There are nine steps to this bad boy. <laughs> and you might even be wondering what they are. But I'm going to give it to you. So number one, um, positive confrontation. You advise the suspect that the evidence has led the police to the individual as a suspect offer the person an early opportunity to explain why the offense took place, right? They're going to say, we know because we have your fingerprints, right? That could not even be true, but they're going to tell you that it is. They don't have to show you proof. Number two, try to shift blame away from the suspect to some other person or set of circumstances that prompted the suspect to commit the crime that is developing themes containing reasons that will psychologically justify or excuse the crime. Um, themes may be developed at this time or changed to find one to which the accused is most responsive. So like, I know they treated you bad or they instigated it and called you names. That's kind of putting blame on somebody else. Going into number three, try to minimize the frequency of suspect denials. I know you told me you didn't do it, but I know you're wrong. I know you're wrong because we have the evidence on you. Number four, at this point, the accused will often give a reason why he or she did not or could not commit the crime. And they'll try to use this to make a move towards the acknowledgement of what they did, right? Like, I couldn't have committed that crime. I was asleep in my bed. But guess what? They have evidence against you. And then number five. They're going to reinforce sincerity to ensure that the suspect is receptive. I know this may be hard. And I know you didn't mean to kill them. But we got evidence. Number six. The suspect will become quieter and listen. This is when the interrogator will move the theme of discussion towards offering alternative. If the suspect cries at this point, that infers guilt. Number seven, they're going to pose the alternative question, giving two choices for what happened. One more socially acceptable was it an accident? And then the other, the suspect 
is expected to choose the easier option. But whichever alternative the suspect chooses, guilt is admitted. There is always a third option, which is to maintain that they did not commit the crime. Right? It goes into, was it an accident? And someone says, or did you do it on purpose? And they're like, it could have been an accident. You could say, I didn't do it. It wasn't an accident and I didn't commit it on purpose. So three options. Don't forget. Number eight, lead the suspect to repeat the admission of guilt in front of witnesses and develop corroborating information to establish the validity of confession. And last, number nine, document suspect's admission or confession and have him or her prepare a recorded statement. And that can literally look like, okay, are you hearing what I'm telling you? And they're going to say, yeah, you're telling me that I got angry and I hit Susie over the head and it killed her. And they're going to be like, aha, we just recorded you. Sign this written statement. You just confessed. Kind of what the read technique is, looks like. Um, John E. Reed also believed that tells, like people have tells, um, such as fidgeting is a sign of lying. So, <laughs> several European countries have actually prohibited methods like this because it bans the use of deception and intimidation. Um, and they have implemented an alternative thing, uh, interrogation or model, such as it's called peace, which encourages more dialogue. So, next week, we're going to get into false confessions because of 311 people who were exonerated through post-conviction DNA testing. More than a quarter had given false confessions under this technique, which is going to lead us, right? Right into next week's episode, which is... um false confessions i'm gonna get into the notorious case of the central park five if you haven't heard of this case you've probably lived underneath a rock because netflix put out a pretty good documentary which it, it wasn't 100 percent facts but they did pretty good i highly suggest you go watch it but that's gonna be next week i'm gonna leave you with that Please research the read technique. Don't. They're not going to walk in into the interrogation room and say, we're going to use the read technique. Just be aware. Like, are they letting me actually talk or are they just telling me things? Be aware. If you ever are in a situation, don't get caught up in a false confession. Know your rights. You don't have to say anything. They can tell you all the stories they want and you don't have to say a thing. Invoke your rights, do your information, research, get the gather the information, and yeah, just be aware, be smart, know your rights. I'm going to leave you there, and I'll see you next week.